0: Hey, guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Green podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my client. My <laughs> <Sorry, laughs> it started. too many clients today. <laughs> You know what's so funny? Sometimes I say to my clients, okay, I'll put it in your show notes, and then I'm like, I'm in your <laughs> session notes. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's just because it's the end of the night. But today I'm here with my friend and co-host, Laura Spath. Last time we kind of gave a teaser that we are going to talk about carbohydrates and the need for them. And we've had another podcast where we talk about hormones specifically. So we are not going to talk just about carbs and hormone health. I mean, it's a big, big component as to why people bring back carbs. But I really just wanted to talk about what I've seen in the community as to whether it's my clients, whether it's people just sharing on social media as to why they're adding back carbs. And then I could just share a little bit about you know, what reasons do we even need carbs if there even is a need for carbs? And then, yeah, we'll just kind of share a little bit. So
1: I think th- this is almost like a little three-part series, this this episode and the last two, where we touched on right. the, the everybody eating a stick of butter thing, the common there's a big new uh, announcement of like calories don't matter on carnivore. And then now this whole group of people that are adding carbs back in. So we've kind of mentioned it before where everybody's either eating a stick of butter or adding carbs. So I do feel like this is almost a continuation of the last two where we are just trying to bring context, nuance, discussion, like something more than a 30 second video discussion about a lot of these topics that are titles and trends that are happening in the carnivore community. So that's really our goal. And hopefully brings full circle what we've been talking about in these last couple of episodes.
0: Yeah. And just to put in a plug, um, if you want additional questions from all of this, these last few podcasts, if you want to join us for the 100th episode and ask your maybe more specific questions, please join us. We are recording that live on February 3rd, which is a Friday in the evening. And you can find more details about getting your $5 ticket um, and celebrating our 100th episode again with us very soon.
1: Cool. That's fun. I'm excited to answer questions live with people.
0: You know, just going back, um, I brought this up in, I think, the very first one, the the one about butter. And I talked about how I think part of the reason why people are not doing as well on carnivore is that during the summer, or maybe it was spring, I really even think it was before PSMF, where people were doing this MCT oil challenge, where people were eating a lots of uh, spoonfuls of MCTs and trying to lose
1: weight that way. And then soon after If you haven't, um, if you don't know what the trend Judy's talking about, that was one of our very first episodes where we talked about that trend. I think it was like single digit episodes that we did. And so that shows you that was almost two years ago because we do one episode Mm. a week. We're not allowed to skip ever. Judy does not let us ever skip a week. (laughs) So it's exactly almost two years ago. But if you know that that was kind of what maybe started or one of the earlier trends since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah.
0: Right. And then. Protein sparing modified fast came soon after and people labeled it in so many different ways. So there were people that were saying eat a lot in one sitting and then fast for many days. There was other people are like you eat lean on certain days and then eat normal on other days. I think overall, none of those are sustainable. Protein sparing modified fast is typically from a medical reason of maybe you need to lose weight really quickly to do a surgery. And so that's where it comes from. And I think that as people started either under eating because they were only eating protein, or they weren't eating sufficient fat, or they were even going through the MCT phase where maybe they weren't eating enough protein because they were adding all their calories from fat, whatever the cause was, the ramifications was that now there's this shift And so that was one. I also think that a lot of people will under eat when they go low carb first, right? Because you're not hungry and people say eat when you're hungry. So then if I'm never hungry, I never need to eat. And that can then cause under eating. We've talked about so many different episodes. Our last one, we talked about calories. And then I think another reason why people may wanna um, introduce carbs is they just want that excuse, right? So Laura's now adding carbs. I mean, she's not, but let's say Laura was saying that she was now adding carbs for hormone health. It's for me, it's saying See, Laura needs carbs, so therefore it's probably safe for me to add carbs. And it can be the excuse, especially if you're an addict, if you struggled with disordered eating. And then I think the other big one in the carnivore space is the A1C. So a lot of people, if you eat normal amounts of protein, your blood sugar will go up and your A1C will go up. Um, I know Laura has talked to Dr. Bickman, and maybe you can share a little bit about that, but I have too. And it's actually very normal.
1: Yeah. I was at the low carb Boca conference, uh, this past weekend, which future plug Judy and I are going to kind of break down a lot of the talks and a bunch of my takeaways from that on next week's episode. Um, just like all the, it's a, it's a much more scientific conference, uh, and everybody that speaks is an MD or a researcher or just like really brilliant. I go just to learn, uh, and absorb all that content. But, um, Ben Bickman is an extremely brilliant researcher. I think he calls himself an engineer, right? He's, he wrote the book, um, why we get sick. And I had gone up to him after his talk and was asking him about a uh, carnivore blood sugar, because I know that my personal blood sugar is in like the nineties in the mornings usually. Um, and I haven't had my A1C checked recently, but, I do know that a lot of carnivores find... I mean, I, what was it? Over the summer, I had it checked. So it was like 5.0, I think it was. But a lot of carnivores find that their A1C ticks up slightly. Nothing near like pre-diabetic levels, but they just find that it, it drops really low when they're losing weight and they're reversing their insulin resistance and they're reversing their diabetes and their A1C drops really low. And then the longer that they're carnivore, it tends to slightly tick back up again. And that can be a big concern for people I think there's also a misconception, which we've mentioned on here all the time, that the lower your blood sugar is, the better. And I think that's why this, where the high fat trend has come from, is that people are trying to get low blood sugar. Um, and so I just asked him, I said, look, my blood sugar is in the 90s, you know, like mid 90s pretty much every day. What does that mean for me? Uh, is that bad? And then what happens to, you know, my A1C if it's ticking up slightly? And he's like, You know, the A1C can be a false positive or falsely high if you're a carnivore, simply because your red blood cells are so healthy that they actually last longer and they don't turn over at the same rate as a normal person. And so your A1C, which I'm explaining it in a way that I guess I would understand, is that your A1C measures how quickly your red blood cells turn over in an average of a three-month period. It really isn't about your blood sugar average, right? It's about how quickly are your red blood cells turning over. And so he said, when you're a carnivore, if that A1C goes up slightly, it's truly just because your red blood cells are so healthy that they actually last longer. And he said, conversely, you could have somebody who's a vegan that has a false low A1C because they're so malnourished And their blood glucose or their red blood cells turn over so quickly because they're so malnourished that they actually have a very low A1C, but it's truly just because they're malnourished.
0: We measure sugar through by which it's in the red blood cells. And so when you are eating a carnivore diet, the assumption is that a lot of times, this A1C measures on an average of three months. And if you look at the research, it also shares that it actually measures more heavily the last like five weeks of that three month period. Well, the thought is that for people that are on a carnivore diet, um, hemoglobin red blood cells are living for four months. And so in that accumulation, you will gather more blood sugar over those periods because you're not using it as much. And it's not an indication that you have insulin resistance or that you are unhealthy. And so Dr. Bickman, Dr. Paul Mason, they all have shared, it is very common to see that blood sugar as well as a one C goes up. But if you check your C peptide, which is another marker of insulin, or if you check insulin and other inflammatory markers, and they all look okay, then it's not something to worry about. And so in general, with my carnivore clients, Their blood sugar hovers around the low nineties, high eighties.
1: And unless I'm fasting for a really, so I came back from this trip. I was traveling for five days. I'm still healing from my surgery. I was pretty swollen. So I actually just did a 48 hour fast, which is rare for me. Um, I do them very strategically, not more than once or twice a month at this point, but it definitely reduces inflammation for me. I was pretty swollen just from traveling when I do a, this type of 48 hour fast, it's just going to like flush out all the swelling and water weight and inflammation that I'm carrying. So I did it pretty strategically. Um, but my blood glucose drops really low then, right? My ketones skyrocket. The only time I get really high ketones and really low blood sugar is when I am fasting for more than 48 hours. If I'm eating two meals a day, my ketones are 0.5 to 0.7 and my glucose is in the nineties. And I'm, been successful with weight loss that way. I've been perfectly healthy, like everything is working well doing it that way. And so, um, yeah, I think that's he was explaining to me, and that was reassuring. Cause even as long as I've been doing this and as great as I feel, I still see people saying over and over and over again about the low blood sugar um, that it makes me question it. And so it was great to be able to sure. ask an expert and just say, hey, I if a long term carnivore has a glucose in the 90s on a regular basis. And their A1C is moved up 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. Is that something to be concerned about? And he instantly was like, you know, absolutely not. It's it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. He told me on the interview that even if your blood sugar was 120 milligrams over deciliters, but there's not real movement over the... Day And there's not these big spikes of 50 milligrams um, up or down that he's not too concerned. And it's really the swings that are more concerning because that means there's insulin getting um, impacted and all of these other things that will cause inflammation and metabolic syndrome. Um, There's a few reasons for the logic too. so Dr. Donald Lehman not on a podcast of mine, but has also said he has seen with people that eat high protein that their blood sugar tends to be higher in the morning, there is a need for glucose in the middle of the night, there's a cortisol kick. And that's where a lot of people will see their blood sugar kind of go up between, I think the hours of one and three in the morning, there's this need for that spike. And for some people, they will wake up um, because of that. And so for people that don't have that issue or are eating a heavy meat diet, they will see that their morning blood sugar is higher because we just don't need the blood sugar because we're not eating carbs to then have that stimulation of insulin to have that excess blood sugar go away. And even Dr. Lehman said, it's not a big deal. It's just the dawn effect. Your body's preparing for you to get up in the morning. I think it's because carnivore is adjacent to keto and a keto diet there are these numbers that people look at because they eat low protein and then they eat super high fat. They kind of want everyone to be in the 60s, 70s, 80s. 80s is kind of considered high, but we are not on a strict ketogenic diet, and that's where, let's see the the recommendations from Doctor Bosch, She's going on a very ketogenic, maybe kind of carnivore, right. but mostly ketogenic diet, and so the protein is low and. If I see a carnivore that works with me and their blood sugars, like their A1C is 4.7, 4.8, I know for sure they're under eating or they're fasting a lot because I don't
1: see that. It's
0: normally 5.1 and above.
1: Uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but one of during the Q&A section at Boca, I asked the question to the panel. They had like all the experts up on the panel. And Dom Diagostino, who is a brilliant researcher and scientist, yes. right? Um, I asked the whole panel, like, how much protein should we be eating? And it was just more this question of getting a ton of variety of people from keto experts to scientists to researchers and doctors. And I wanted to hear from everybody what they said. And uh, Dom Diagostino jumped in and said that, you know, he goes by the Donald Lehman, which is two, I got to actually look it up, but it's like um, 1.5 to 1.7 grams per kilogram. Uh And which was great. And when you do the math, it actually ends up being the same as what we always say of like 0.8 to one gram per lean body mass. So that was great. But he also said, the point is, when people were doing a strict ketogenic diet for long periods of time and under eating protein, they were finding that in children, especially it was stunting their growth. And so the old Mm -hmm. metric of low protein for kids who were on like seizure prevention, you know, ketogenic diet for medical treatment. They had to ensure that they were regulating, getting them enough protein because they were finding that children who were under eating protein on a keto diet, it was stunting their growth. And he said, the worst thing that you can do is under eat protein. I actually have a video clip of that, that we'll have to incorporate next week, but, um, it was great to hear. Yeah. And that's why I said last
0: week, I mean, there are advocates in the keto space that say, Ketogenic diets are muscle sparing. And even if there's some scientific paper that proves that I am not willing to risk my muscle mass so that because I think my diet is saving my muscle mass instead of, um, Dr. Donald Lehman is one of the protein experts and has studied amino acids for 20, 30 years. Dr. Gabrielle Line is one of his students. Doctor, or or, I don't know if he's a doctor. Elaine Norton is one of his students and they are all big, protein people. And he talks about in my recent interview with him that, All the other macros you can shift around, but you cannot shift around the protein need. That is an absolute number you must hit every day. And if you don't hit it on most days, it is a huge mistake in terms of longevity. He talks about if you start losing muscle mass at a certain age, it becomes nearly difficult to even regain some of that. And I am not willing to risk and hedge that, hey, a ketogenic diet will save my muscle. So therefore, I don't have to worry about eating sufficient protein. I just think it's a risk.
1: He mentioned in Dom DiAgostino mentioned in his presentation that after 30, you lose 5% of your muscle mass every year. So I had posted that on Instagram and somebody DM'd me and they're like, that's stupid. You'd be zero muscle mass by the time you're 50. No, it's not 5% then 10%, then 15, <laughs> it's like you lose 5% of your muscle mass. And then the next year you have a new baseline and then you lose 5% of that. And obviously that's too without building new muscle. But if you are just living the same lifestyle and not getting sufficient protein, it's it's why we all should be, me included, should be doing with lifting weights more, uh, at least occasionally to stimulate muscle growth as we get older and ensuring that we're eating enough protein.
0: Yes. I, I did a little bit of research as to you know, why do why do we need carbs? So what, you know, everyone that's not a carnivore, why do we need carbs? And I think I searched several um not research papers, but just the common thought wellness articles and almost everyone says there's a few main reasons and there's four. One is energy so that you can use um the energy from your food so that you can fuel yourself for the day. Well, we know that fat can do that. So that's a not as big of a deal. So, if it's not the energy part, the other part is storing energy. So, you can store your energy as glycogen. You could store it in your liver and then in your muscles and so on and so forth. So, if you ever run out of energy, you could use that. But then you can also use your energy as fat stores for, um, from your fat. So, Again, I think that's, okay, so that's not a real reason to eat carbohydrates too. The other thing is, for some reason, they say that it preserves muscle, and we just talked about how protein is the true lever to preserve muscle. So even for that reason, it's not as valuable. And then the other one is obviously the digestive health part, which is that soluble and soluble fiber soluble fiber will, um, it draws water to your system, it can dissolve in water, and it's supposed to help stimulate you to have a stool. And then insoluble fiber doesn't dissolve. And basically, both of them are supposed to help you go. And then some of them can produce short chain fatty acids for good gut health. But you could also take animal fats and meats have uh, mammalian cells, which can break down for your gut microbiome. And same thing with dairy. So all dairy produces butyrate. So all of these reasons to say that, again, you don't even necessarily need fiber. Now, if you feel like you need those bigger bowel movements, because that uh, helps you to feel like you're going, that's a different situation than believing that you need fiber to basically go and have digestive function. Most people on a carnivore diet say that they have improved digestive health. And if it was truly a fiber or no fiber thing, most people on carnivore would say everything is great, but my digestive function is now horrible. And that's not the case.
1: Yeah. I think we hear the opposite. Like you said, everybody talks about how their digestive system gets better um, without having any fiber and by doing meat only. I think the thing that we see the most is people who have been carnivore for a while and then end up adding carbs back is the people who are having hormone issues. Um, and I think we see the same thing with fruit, with the honey, with carbs. Um, And I think – I know that you, you feel the same way, but if you want to eat carbs, go for it. I have no issues right. with somebody who wants to do that. Where the challenge comes in – and the same thing goes for fruit, for honey, for sweets, for – um, you know, any of these things that we've been to a stick of butter a day, any of these things that you want to do, there's no dogma, do what you want to do. I don't care what you call it, right? Somebody actually commented, I, this is a side note, but it it explains my point of, I had posted a video of me um, ordering from In-N-Out and I had, I had pickles with it. I did mustard fried burger patties, which is my new thing. And I'm obsessed. If you haven't seen that, you need to go get mustard fried burger patties. And I had pickles. And one of the comments that I got was like, so you're not carnivore anymore. And I was like, I eat meat and I had a pickle. Call it what you want to call it. Like maybe that is makes me not a carnivore, but I don't care. So whatever you want to eat and whatever you want to label yourself, I re- truly have don't care at all. The challenge comes when people think that they need these carbs because there's something wrong with their hormones. And I think you and I would always argue that if you think you need fruit, if you think you need carbs, then there's something else going on. There is a root problem. And this is what's happening with the butter trend, with um, the carb trend, with the fruit thing, when people were going and eating the raw carrot salad, all of these things, there's some kind of root cause that needs to be addressed or other factors as well, right? Obviously, if you're having hormone issues, fasting is not a good thing. I'm an advocate for fasting in the right circumstances, but if you're having hormone issues, fasting is not going to help that and it's not going to contribute. So there's, there's just so many factors that I, it's hard for me to jump on the train of like, I added carbs and it fixed everything.
0: Um, I, I do think that is one of the bigger reasons. Um, and the other one, one is sleep, which I think sleep is also impacted by the main hormone is cortisol that everyone's getting impacted with. And then the downstream effects of cortisol is your sex hormones and your thyroid. But even with sleep. So I just wanted to know, okay, what is it with some type of carb at night that people say they sleep better? And the research supposedly says that. It helps to boost tryptophan and serotonin and serotonin helps you to sleep better because it also produces melatonin. Fine. So let's say that's a true statement. Well, the way that we produce tryptophan is through amino acids or B vitamins and um, same thing with then serotonin and you need good gut function, which is most of your serotonins in your gut, which then produces melatonin. While the carbs may help, that's like you just said, it's a band-aid. So when it comes to the actual science, You will not have tryptophan if you're not really eating a lot of meat, for example, and then that produces that serotonin and again, melatonin. So let's just talk about now the hormone aspect of this. There are so many things that tap into our cortisol. And the reason why we keep looking at cortisol, um, stress hormone, and why people are always saying um, my cortisol is wonky now because of a low-carb diet the best way to think of our entire hormone system is the endocrine system. And whether it's your sex hormones, your thyroid, when it comes to cortisol, if you need it, your body will prioritize that the most. So that's all you have to know. And if you have enough things going on in your life that requires you to produce more cortisol, but you are malnourished, and remember cortisol requires Things to be created. So it needs salt. It needs B vitamins. Sometimes it needs a little bit of vitamin C. There's things and nutrients and raw materials needed. But if you're also dealing with chronic illness that causes a cortisol response in your body, if you're under eating, that's a chronic low grade cortisol response, over fasting, um, over exercising, and then not sleeping well, all of these things add. And then obviously the stressors, right? COVID is a big stressor when we are scared of going outside because we may get sick or we may catch a virus and die. Those are stressors. In the scheme of all that cortisol stuff, there is one truth where in a carnivore diet, we use gluconeogenesis to convert our protein into some glucose. And that also uses cortisol. And the question is, so a lot of people say, so therefore that is a stressor. The ketogenic diet is a stressor. But if you compare, consider all things, is it really that much of a pull on cortisol compared to all the other things? I think it's easy to say, I'll just change and add my carbs and then I'll be healed from all the cortisol output. But the question is, What all in your life is causing this excess output and chronic output of cortisol needs? Because usually it is not the diet and it is not the use of gluconeogenesis that is causing this excess cortisol that is breaking then down everything downstream, such as hormones and thyroid health.
1: And maybe for some people adding carbs in is way easier than fixing all the other stressors in their life. Maybe they can't and don't want to fix the other things or aren't capable of fixing what else is stressing them out. Uh, I do think, you know, obviously cutting out things like fasting and other things might be easier, but if you're in a very stressful season in your life, you might not be able to have a drastic enough impact on your cortisol and fix your sleep for whatever reason. Um, you know, there's a lot of seasons in our life where like our sleep is just going to be terrible, and you can't adjust that. So maybe they're using those carbs as a band aid uh, sure. and as a way to treat those symptoms rather than address because they're just not capable of addressing the root cause. Which, again, you have to figure out what works for you. But if we think about blood sugar imbalances,
0: which most people, the percentage of pre-diabetics and diabetics in America is astounding. And when your blood sugar gets imbalanced long-term, your insulin doesn't work as well. So you become hyperinsulinemia, you become insulin resistant, and guess what happens? Ta-da! It needs cortisol then to balance your blood sugar. So for people that have just heard my laundry list of cortisol, and then they hear the gluconeogenesis uh, does impact your cortisol. Well, if you were pre-diabetic before a carnivore or diabetic or had blood sugar imbalances, will carbs also impact your cortisol if you have blood sugar dysregulations. If you've been eating zero carb for many years and all of a sudden you're adding carbs, that will be a cortisol response effect too because your body's not used to consuming all these carbs. Now you could slowly bring it in, but my question is why? Like, Do you need carbs to lower your A1C? Well, we just said that that A1C is just a false positive. It is not an indicator of poor health. If you are adding carbs because you need to sleep better, is everything else in your life improving? And if you feel all of a sudden so energetic in the mornings and you're sleeping through the night and you feel great, then great. Just keep trying it. But is there a certain point that that newness of carbs is going to go away and now you're stuck with the same issues? Like these are the things I'm truly wondering about because no time in history has it been, oh my gosh gluconeogenesis is what has been (laughs) impacting my cortisol. So that's
1: why my hormones are messed up. I mean, it's
0: never been the case.
1: Yeah. And I think part of this too, is that the concern of like my glucose is in the nineties or the low hundreds every day, like what's going on. And so Talk to us a little bit more about the fact that when people are adding carbs in, that baseline glucose is instantly going down. And so I think there is this sense of relief, like, oh, wow, this is fixing me. I added carbs and now my glucose is in the 70s or the low 80s. Um, I think that's a lot of what I think people are explaining right now too.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I saw an interview with Paul Saladino or Dr. Paul Saladino, and he was saying something about my A1C has improved now that I've added fruit. And it's like, duh, it has. And the only reason is because your body's now using the blood sugar. So insulin's coming in and mopping up the extra sugar. So your blood sugar, and since he's uh, very fit and he uh, uses that sugar, the glycogen that's stored uh, when he goes surfing and whatever else, but his blood sugar then will be lower because he's actually using it. When we are not using our blood sugar, again, it's just kind of sitting in our blood and then our A1C ends up showing more of that amount. But if all your other markers of inflammation don't show illness, why does it matter? Like why why does it matter other than that people are saying, this is a number you should follow? Just like we know that BMIs are not perfect. Um, the rock is considered obese with the BMI. If we know that, then we should know these numbers are all specific to a certain diet and the a1c was defined by the average american the average american is not well right so on a ketogenic diet yeah if you're eating 50 grams of protein your a1c better be low, right because right. you're not eating much protein and you're not really eating carbs so in context of a carnivore diet Your blood sugar, I would expect to be in the mid to upper 80s and the the low 90s and sometimes 100, depending on if you ate a lot of cheese, if you ate more closer to the evening, all of those impact that. And I am never worried unless I start seeing things maybe in the 120s. If I see A1Cs above 5.6, that's when I start digging to let's check their insulin, their C-peptide and lots of other inflammatory markers. It's not the carbs that we need. Um. There are just so many other things that can be impacted. You know, one thing I just forgot to mention is that a lot of us know that cortisol is produced by our adrenals. And so if cortisol is wonky or we don't have enough cortisol in the morning, then it's an adrenal thing. So our adrenals are fatigued. But the reality is that most of our cortisol is in our brain. Most of our receptors are in our brain. Maybe there's an issue with um, the hypothalamus or the pituitary. Those are all, they all impact the way that cortisol is distributed. I don't know why everyone just says it's the carbs, because even when we're on a standard American diet and most people have hypothyroid or Hashimoto's on a um, standard American diet, no one's saying it's the carbs. Now it's because it's your diet, right? But when you remove the carbs, now it's
1: the carbs. It's just, where's the logic? It's also interesting though, you mentioned this, like why are carnivores are good at acknowledging that cholesterol is not this one marker. That's a perfect indicator of your health. We've also, I think most of us have taken the red pill on cholesterol and understanding that your high LDL is a good thing. The fact that your triglyceride should be like the ratio of cholesterol is what matters. Your total cholesterol is not something to be feared. A high LDL is not something to be feared. And if anything, it's a good thing. I think most of us have woken up to that fact, but yet there still is this fear, and obsession with every other marker being exactly what we're told. And I'm not saying to throw out all markers that are out there and just ignore blood work because then it kind of sounds like we're in this carnivore cult and we're like, ignore your blood work, ignore everything. Trust me, eat me, eat carnivore harder, like only do carnivore. You're doing it wrong. This is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Understanding why wouldn't A1C be the number that it is? Understanding the turnover rate of the red blood cells, like we're talking about, and then putting that in context with what you're eating and what's going on. I think when we need to take more blood numbers seriously, blood markers, I guess, is if you're not being consistent on this way of eating. And that's when I get scared. And what I keep mentioning is when people are not consistent, if they're eating mostly fatty meat, but then having a cheat day occasionally or even regularly, if you're This is also my fear when it comes to carbs. If people are eating carnivore and adding carbs in, you are getting the, again, the worst of both worlds. You're getting super high fatty meat and you're getting carbs, which are keeping you out of ketosis. So you're not burning fat. So you're going to store all of that fat and then you're going to burn the carbs. So depending on how many carbs you're eating and how much fatty meat that you're eating, your blood markers over time could get Worse, And you actually could start storing all this fat and developing other issues um, that a standard American dieter would eat. So it all comes into context with how many carbs are you eating? If you're eating carbs, I would recommend you lower your fat intake because you don't need the right. fat for energy Agreed. because you're burning the carbs for your energy and you don't want to be storing all that fat. You can't try to do both. So your decision to add carbs, you can't do both. And if you
0: were struggling with, pre-diabetes before, it's just a risk because you're still going to be tapping into cortisol. The question would be, how do we measure how much cortisol is outputted more? So if you were pre-diabetic and you eat glucose or carb-rich foods that tap into your insulin, your insulin's not functioning well enough, so then cortisol has to come and save the day, how much cortisol is outputted then versus when you're in a carnivore diet and you have to use gluconeogenesis, how much cortisol is outputted then? And it's such a It's a natural human response. That's why we have an effect such as that. It's a human physical response. And it's just wild to me that we think that's something to be fear-mongered by. And this hasn't really been talked about much in our carnivore community, but we think about A1C, it mostly measures our glucose. Just to give you perspective, um, a lot of fruits are more fructose than glucose, and that will not always be... Shown in your CGM or your continuous glucose monitor, as well as in your blood glucose monitor. Some of it will be converted to glucose, but generally speaking, or vice versa, but generally speaking, you're not getting the entire picture. And that's where you will have to do like a liver test from your, um, your provider to see, are you getting fatty liver now from fructose? And those are not things that we see. We may get the stimulus from carbs and we're like, whoa, we have so much energy now. Well, yeah, sugar is a stimulant. But fast forward three months, do you still have that same energy? Are you still sleeping as well as you said when you first introduced these carbs? Are you still healing? And if you are, that's great. But if you're not, then it was never the carbs and the carbs were just a bandaid to get over whatever hump you're going through. And I know you said, why do we accept cholesterol to not be the standard American markers? And why with A1C, do we are we not okay with these new normals, no matter how much Ben Beckman or Paul Mason brings it up? And, you know, I'll be the first to say it. I think it's some of the influencers. I think people say, look at me, look at my A1C, look at my glucose, look at my ketones, like, look how great they are. And then look how skinny I am. Right. And that then becomes the norm of, and again, we are also keto adjacent. And when we are keto adjacent, we compare all our blood work to even Dr. Dom Agostino always shares his glucose and it's in like the 60s, 70s. So when someone follows that, they'll think, oh my gosh, my markers in the 90s, I am almost pre-diabetic and I'm not even eating carbs. So what's going on? But context matters. I just had to say this to a client today. You don't know what happens behind closed doors. And if if I'm telling you that majority of our clients, their blood sugars in the 90s, but I, I guess I'm telling my clients the wrong things and that's why like their blood sugar is so high and everyone else that's a carnivore and their blood sugars in the 70s, they must be doing it right.
1: It's interesting if you're uh, adding the carbs back in to help your hormone health and like you were taking exogenous hormones to help with that. Talk about what that would mean as far as your health, like what other underlying issues could be going on that would require you to need exogenous hormones?
0: So if we think about all the sex hormones, they are all under the steroid hormone pathway. And the number one thing that we also create is cortisol in that whole thing. Remember, think about uh, raw material. So acetyl-CoA, cholesterol, all of these things are used to produce all of these hormones. And if There are multiple ways to go down these paths to make certain types of hormones. And the main one, the master one is pregnenolone, And then it goes down to your either DHEA, your progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, DHEA, et cetera. If again, your cortisol is being overly tapped, everything will get shuttled to make cortisol. And eventually your body will shut down the production of the sex hormones and the production of, so when cortisol is high, it will suppress your thyroid hormone. So it is true that most likely there's something going on that cortisol's always running, but it could even just be your life is super stressed. That means you're chronically in a cortisol high cortisol state. What ends up happening is most people will do like a Dutch test, which is a hormone like a urine spot test, or they will do like a saliva test to see where their cortisol is. And oftentimes, a lot of those will say, "Okay, you're low in progesterone, so you may want to supplement with um, exogenous progesterone or exogenous estrogen." That is never a root cause. You are never just, oh, I'm low in estrogen and that's why I'm not feeling good. Why are you low in estrogen? And oftentimes it's because it's related to either a toxin that's circulating, which can affect your cortisol, which includes like mold, lime, heavy metals. Um, It could be high blood sugar levels. Again, all the things that I just mentioned that can impact cortisol. And then if you're under eating, you don't even have the raw materials to make anything. So what's gonna go? Your sex hormones, because your body's like, you're not in a condition to make a baby, so um, you're, I'm going to shut off the ability for you to make a baby, but I still need you to survive, so everything is going to get shuttled to cortisol. When we are supplementing these exogenous hormones, some of them will still go and fuel the cortisol. So even though it may give some of it to progesterone or some of it to DHEA or some of it to estrogen, some of it's going to go again to cortisol, and all you're doing is fueling the fire. That's where I'm not the biggest fan of exogenous hormones. My question is always, why are you imbalanced? Finding out that you're low in estrogen or low in progesterone is not a root cause answer. Finding out that you're low in DHEA is not a root cause answer. Finding out that you're low in testosterone, find the reasons why. And this is when this whole steroid hormone pathway, this is where I am supportive of eating a high fat carnivore diet, but you also need sufficient protein. So if you are eating sufficiently, And then managing your stressors, I think that would be a big way to support your hormones. And if that is not enough, then I would start looking at lifestyles, potential environmental toxins and stuff. But it is never the fact that, oh, I needed carbs. I think I would say I have zero clients that in order to heal their hormones, I said they needed to add back carbs, zero. As much as I've worked with so many people, there is not a single person that I had to say, okay, fine,
1: you need to add carbs, none. And your people also are not the average people. They are sick. They are much more sick than normal. So they're the extreme cases. Right. Um, and if they're the ones that are, the and most they still extreme, don't need carbs. And they don't, it all comes back to sirs. Everybody has sirs. <laughs> it's the mold.
0: <laughs> no, but they, my point is though, that no one, as much as they are that sick was like, right. Oh, you need the carbs. No one it's, they might have heavy metals or lime or mold or sirs, but it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was the carbs all along. And, and most of you know that if I learn something new, I will share it. Right. So if I, when I learned about liver and the Liver toxicity with vitamin A and copper, I brought it up. If I really saw some of my clients that needed to add back carbs, I would bring it up and say there are unfortunately some people that do need carbs, but I don't see it. And, and that's that's why I will not say that people need carbs. And if we do truly need carbs, no one could do a carnivore diet long term. And that's just not a true statement. There are many of us that do it and thrive. And so all the people that need carbs, my question is, what are you doing in your life other than the diet aspect that is impacting possibly your hormones? And I think when people look within, they will find some of those answers, even though it's so hard to admit.
1: Yeah. And I think it always can come back to do what you want to do. If this is the band aid right. that you want to use, you can do that. Where I think you and I get a little fired up is people saying that people need carbs because the problem is, is most people who end up on a carnivore diet, especially a carnivore diet long-term, we are sick people. We are sick with food addiction. We are sick physically. We have a lot of root cause issues going on. And when somebody hears, "I you need carbs for hormone health, it is a quick permission slip, like you mentioned earlier, to go off the rails for people that have been dealing with food addiction and it can cause this downward spiral. I had mentioned it one, I think I made that video forever ago, or like you and I did a podcast on like, what can you drink on carnivore? I made a video about it and I mentioned in there something about Diet Coke, which I'm uh, six weeks Diet Coke free. We're so excited. Oh, nice, right. nice. I haven't had one since my surgery. All right. Special. Um, <laughs> Not happy about it. Um, But I mentioned there's something about drinking Diet Coke. A friend of mine heard that and goes, oh, Laura's drinking Diet Coke. I could have a Coke Zero then. That makes sense. And then the next thing you know, she's completely addicted and having a couple a day. And like all of a sudden she can't stop and she like needs her. Like I, unfortunately, some this is why I haven't talked about it a lot over the years is because I don't want to give somebody that permission to then cause them, you know, it's like my kids eat other foods that are not carnivore. But I don't want to, I don't show those often because I don't want to trigger somebody into thinking like, oh, if this is appropriate for them, like then I can do this. And I don't want to cause somebody to think that that means it's okay for them in their context. And so it's just, that's my fear. I also know myself personally, I don't want to eat a sweet potato and I want to eat, I talk about, I want to eat a donut. And so if you told me I had to eat carbs, um, I actually remember back in 2019, I was having hormone issues on carnivore and uh, I stopped having my cycle and I reached out to an expert in the carnivore community and they told me I needed to add carbs. And I hadn't eaten anything that was non-carnivore in about 18 months at that point. And I, all of a sudden was like, great, I need carbs. And I tried to make myself like some sweet potatoes and some meat. And then I added some blueberries. And then the next thing I know, I ate a pint of ice cream within a matter of 24 hours. Like I couldn't handle that permission of like, you need to eat carbs. So I very quickly went like, get your act together, girl. You can't do this. And I started addressing other things that were going on with my hormones. I realized that I had been fasting too much. I was under eating at the time. My one meal a day no longer gave me all the nutrients that I needed for the day. And I was over fasting. I was doing too many 48 hour fasts because I wanted to lose weight. I also had started exercising at that time. Very short time in my life when we know I exercised. (laughs) And rather than just exercising a little bit, I started taking these crazy intense body pump classes five days a week. And you're doing an hour long, basically cardio and weightlifting at the same time weightlifting. So I was over-exercising. I was over-fasting. I had gotten so thin because I didn't really know how to turn off this like weight loss mentality that I had going on. And obviously that's those are the reasons I had hormone issues. So I had to chill out with weight loss. I started eating two meals a day. I started adding more fat. This is where I needed to add more fat. I was eating ribeyes at the time and cutting off all the extra fat that was on them. So in reality, I was eating pretty lean. So I had to up my fat. I had to be more cognizant of getting adequate nutrition for my body. I started focusing on sleep. I was encouraged to have more sex, like all of those things (laughs) that help give you positive hormones. And within a couple of months, everything went regulated and back to normal without the carbs. And obviously I am one case. I'm not saying that's true for everybody. As we age, I was, you know, in my early thirties at the time. So as we age and get closer to menopause, things are very different. My point is, it can be something else. And to hear that you need carbs to fix the hormones that are going on with you, I, I'm afraid is going to cause more damage to certain people than good. Um, and understanding that this could be a tool, but it's there's other tools available in the toolbox as well. I'm not somebody who could add carbs back in um, on occasion to get those balances. And it's good for me to know that I don't have to. If I can ask have you been consistent with
0: your period for oh. all the public to know?
1: <laughs> Ooh. Yes. A hundred percent. A thousand percent. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I will say I got, like I was like a week late after my surgery. My body oh, went okay. through this very traumatic surgery recently. And obviously like that can throw things off. I was healing. It was a little messed up. But other than that exact moment, I have an app that tells me when i'm supposed to start my my period it is 100% right 100% of the time like sometimes i'll even get like a little cranky and then all of a sudden i get like a warning that pops up that's like 2 days until you start your period and i tell chris and he's like oh i know i know just like i'm aware it's like 2 days from now is the only time that i ever just get like a little snappy is 2 days before i'm supposed to start my period yeah no
0: and that's very healthy and you know, i think just okay so like i love bringing up these logical examples we We all know that the CrossFit world, they exercise a lot. And um, they are very into working out and they eat very healthy and they include a lot of carbs. And if you think about a lot of people have stories of I was heavy into CrossFit and then I lost my period. I was heavy into CrossFit. And then my hormones taint. They where also tend our, to eat
1: very lean. They eat a lot of protein. They're doing some shakes, but then they're also eating lean beef, turkey, and yes. um, lean chicken. Yeah. So they eat a
0: lot of protein, but then the other part where the energy source is more of, I carbs. mean, they'll have a little bit of fat, but it's the carbs. It's the new Paul Saladino diet, right? So thats it's the heavy working out and with lean meat. So they're not getting an energy source from fat. And so I think when it comes to those people, how come no one's saying, I mean, at that point, what's going on with those people, the argument then is, well, yeah, they're working out so hard. Well, what if you have little levers in your life for the average person of, yeah, it's a little bit of stress in your life, your job, your marriage, your uh, financials part, and then maybe you're not eating enough, because now all of a sudden, you're eating a carnivore low carb diet where you don't really ever feel hungry. So all you're doing is sipping on coffee with a little bit of cream all day, and maybe adding a stick of butter. And then and then you don't really eat much at night, right? right. And, and then it's just, well, oh, my gosh, I need carbs for my hormone health. And it's really is it wasn't it really that and I, I just want to touch up menopause, too our ovaries decide to stop making hormones. And so what it does is, okay, I'm shifting my hormone load to now the adrenals. And remember, the adrenals are also what produce the majority of cortisol. And so when that shift happens, if your adrenals have already been inundated with the level of cortisol it's producing, now you're saying, here's a bigger dump of the, the hormones that the ovaries were now producing. Now you have to also produce that adrenals. And so that's where the adrenals has to now find this new balance when it's already been inundated. And so the result is you get a wonkiness of hot flashes in the middle of the night or the middle of the day even. Um, You have moodiness. You just start gaining all this weight. And it's because your adrenals are now trying to add on more hormone balance when it was already imbalanced from the beginning. If you eat a carnivore diet long-term and you manage your stressors, that your cortisol is not wonky and you manage your environmental toxins, sleep, etc., essentially your menopause symptomatically should be much less. So you shouldn't have the hot flashes. Think about when we um, are really stressed or we have a lot of adrenaline pumping, we start sweating. That is the same thing that, and that's a cortisol output. That is the same thing that happens when you're in menopause. Your adrenals are trying to balance this new load from the ovaries. And because it's all wonky, it's just randomly having you have these hot flashes. But if you had managed the cortisol load up to the 60s, And I guarantee that majority of America is not having menopause and hot flashes because of the lack of carbs, then it maybe is everything else that's part of our lifestyle and diet.
1: Yeah. And I think this is where the... After our butter episode, we got a lot of feedback about people saying like, well, I'm going through menopause and I need the butter and the high fat for that. And they might I think temporarily for healing to help with right. that. We did I'm not arguing with that. We sure. mentioned in that episode not menopause specifically, but the fact that the higher fat can help with healing hormones. So I think we had intended for menopause to be included in that and if we weren't clear, I wanted to clarify that now. But what women need most when they are aging is protein. And I think that is my biggest fear is that when we start adding things like carbs or when we start going super high fat like this, the first thing that is sacrificed is protein because if you're eating adequate protein and you're eating adequate fat and you're adding carbs, you are going to gain weight um, more than likely. And, And so I think that's the problem is that people are not as thin as they want to be and so they make a change like this where they start adding fat or they're looking for some type of weight loss. But the problem is you're undereating. And if you want to adjust and make sure you're eating enough, you likely are not going to eat an adequate amount and then instantly start dropping weight. There is this time if you've been under eating, if you're malnourished, if you've been lacking fat or lacking protein, and you all of a sudden start eating an adequate amount, even though you aren't as thin as you want to be, it's likely that you will gain weight over time with that. Um, right. I think some people are seeing this instant shift where they go to one of, go add carbs, add the butter or do something and then they drop a little bit of weight at first. And then over time, that will start to creep back up and come back on. So, um, which I think is very likely if you've been malnourished in something and you start eating an adequate amount, it's very likely that you will gain while your body is trying to regulate that amount and heal And then you may end up losing later.
0: Just to add for the women also that are older that are not eating sufficient protein, you know, I've talked about the hip loss Um, with Dr. Lehman. He said that 33% that fall that are above the age of 60 or 65, they die. So they don't even make it past that injury. And I do not want to end up being that one. And I'm okay eating 75% fat on top of my total adequate protein. Now that's a lot of calories now because the fat um, being that much higher, but I will never sacrifice my protein needs, just understanding how important it is in terms of health and longevity. And just as an FYI, if you are suffering from hypothyroid Hashimoto's, The way that we produce thyroid hormones is not only with iodine, but it's with sufficient protein. There is no fat in that mix. Now, if your cortisol is out of balance, which may need some more fat in that department, if your cortisol is in balance, it can suppress thyroid, but the actual production of thyroid hormone actually needs protein. And this is why I've been this advocate for if you want to heal your hormones, you need the fat, but you also need the protein.
1: At Boca, uh, Ben Bickman's talk was on insulin resistance. And one of the questions that he posed during the talk was, does carbohydrate restriction cause insulin resistance? And I think that's where, you know, we had talked to Syves last year about it, where he was saying that people needed an insulin spike because they were, if you're carnivore for a long period of time, you are eventually going to become insulin resistant. And so at the time he was going extreme low protein or extreme low fat, sorry, And then now I guess he switched it up and he's having all his clients drink milk to cause an an insulin spike so that they won't become insulin resistant. But Ben did an excellent job. And I think, you know, we'll try to explain this more. And I would encourage you to do your research with his work, right? This is for me to bring this up as a pique your curiosity and then go dig into Ben Bickman's information more. I believe this is in his book um, that he addresses, but carbohydrate restriction does not cause insulin resistance. But it can cause acute glucose intolerance, meaning you've lived without carbs for so long, you've lived without sugar for so long, and then all of a sudden you introduce that to you. It can cause a higher than normal glucose spike because your body is not used to the load of glucose that you're giving it. And it's not a permanent thing. If you started eating carbs regularly again, that would regulate over time, right. but you will see this. You're still going to be insulin sensitive, but you are acutely glucose intolerant. And it took me like some very simple gra- graphics that he showed for me to personally understand that. Um, but it makes sense with people. And I think some of this reason why people are adding carbs in is because they're worried if they're carnivore too long, it's going to turn them insulin resistant because of this higher than baseline glucose levels.
0: Yeah. And I've heard that too. So some people reach out to me and said before carnivore, I could eat some carbs and my blood sugar was still normal. And now when I eat it because of carnivore, my blood sugar is now hitting the one somethings and it's just ruined my, like now I cannot handle any carbs. And that's not true. If you eat carbs for a good month and not overdose on the carbs, so maybe you eat a hundred grams or 150, your blood sugar will start regulating again. It's just you stopped using that part of your body and your body is very efficient. So once you stop using it, it's like, Oh, okay, I don't need to focus on that anymore. And then once you introduce it, just like when you introduced the ketogenic diet, and you went through the keto flu, you're going to have a shift. And that is okay, if we can accept that we go through a keto flu, and we go through these differences, why can we not accept that maybe our A1C being high is okay? If you add carbs, And you feel like everything is fixed, your hormones, your sleep, your energy, and now it's six months out and you're still eating carbs and you still feel that same way, then I commend you. Then you have found your root cause issue and it was carbs. But I don't know many people that last six months. In fact, I know so many people that go the repeat route because they're like, I get to eat everything I want in moderation and eat the carbs and eat healthy carbs and I will heal my hormones. And so many people gain so much weight, but then they have low energy because now their blood sugar is dysregulated.
1: This to me is the same as all the other trends that we're seeing. The low, the low fat, high protein, the high fat eating a stick of butter, like all other people who go to repeat the people who are doing carnivore plus fruit and honey, like all of these things. I think we end up hearing there's this announcement of like, Hey, carnivore wasn't working for me. Surprise. Now I'm doing something different and it's working for me, but the hooray, it's working for me. Here's what I'm doing now is after a very short period of time, like you said,
0: right? Right. we're
1: not seeing it be six months, a year later. And all of these things I'm looking for, what can you consistently do to maintain a healthy life long-term and whatever that looks like for you, for people like, you know, some of these bro guys, like if they exercise a lot, they can eat fruit. They can do all these things. Like, I don't care what you do. I want you to do what is going to keep you healthy and happy long term and is sustainable for you so you can stick to this way of eating uh, and that works to help you be the healthiest possible. I just don't see that from this type of trend and feedback. We see it when people start doing it and instantly feel better like you said and are talking about it very quickly um and that's my concern is that we still don't have long term information on it and then everybody else jumps on the trend. And that's why I think things keep bouncing around. Right. And I mean, just to give the example of Dr.
0: Saladino, I, I honestly think that if he ate higher fat on carnivore, he could still do his very active lifestyle and and not have the carbs. I, I really believe he could have done it um, without adding a lot of the carbs, but he chose not to eat the fat and he chose carbs as that energy level lever, but then is still maintaining his protein. The risk... When you eat a lot of fruit and a lot of these carbs is fine. He's using up the blood sugar, but there are people that were super athletes that ended up having diabetes. And then the question is, how do we know that Dr. Saladino is not going to get a fatty liver over time from all the fructose? We just don't know the downstream effects of even all these Ray Peters that are eating orange juice and Coca-Cola, like the real version, because it's cane sugar instead of high fructose corn syrup. How do we know the downstream effects of their organs and other things that are not just measured by blood glucose and A1c? We only care about A1c and blood glucose because it is a sign of inflammation. It is a sign of metabolic disease. It is not what's going to kill you. Most people don't die from diabetes. They die from complications of diabetes of metabolic syndrome. And that's the part that people need to really understand is you are not going to die from a high A1C. You are going to die from inflammation from high A1C. And it's just this context that we have to just understand if you are on a carnivore diet, are you really going to die from blood sugar imbalances? The logic is not there. And if your hormones need support, is it truly because you're under eating? And you have to be honest about that. If you're not eating at least a pound and a half of meat a day, with some amounts of fat that makes sense for you, you're probably under eating. And it's just because we're not eating many other macros. And if you're not doing that, and I get a lot of clients are like, Judy, but I can't eat that much. And it's, well, then you're going to risk your hormone health. And if you want to introduce carbs, you can later because carbs will make you hungry because it's stimulating insulin and ghrelin. But long term, it was never the carbs that saved our human health. We are inundated with excess carbs right now, which is making us sick. And if you think that those same carbs, just because they're healthy carbs, and and if you think that's the thing that will balance your cortisol, which will then balance your thyroid and your hormones, I would love to see that data. Six months out, you're doing the same thing with your carbohydrates, and now everything's healed. I would love to see your blood work. Um, I I would be super skeptical just based on my small population of clients.
1: Yeah. What we address so much here is find the root cause, like find what's really going on. Stop treating the symptoms. Uh, Stop addressing things just symptomatically um, with Band-Aids and focus on why these things are happening in the first place. Um, And I think that's where true healing can happen and where you will find what you can be consistent on long term. I'm sure there's going to be some people that will
0: be upset by all three of these episodes. I just want you to take a step back and think about what what are Laura and I selling? Like we're really selling nothing, right? We're just saying, sorry, you got to do the same thing over and over and over until you heal. And it's super boring. We're not selling something. And I just think everybody else that's sharing a certain thing, is it their own N equals one? Are they selling a program? I mean, I don't know what it is, but... I really want you to question why. Why do I have to eat this or why do I have to add that? And if not everyone needs it, then those are not the answers for everyone. And if it's not the answers for everyone, it may not be the answer for you. And you have to figure out your amount of fat. You have to figure out that you're ensuring to eat sufficient protein. And then from there, you just have to figure out how much stress is in your life that is causing your cortisol to be imbalanced, your blood sugar and all your hormones and thyroid health.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We have no judgment on what people want to do with their own decisions. I think it's just we get scared. And that's where these last three things that episodes we wanted to address is we just want people to f- be able to figure out what works for them and not be led down this path and kind of end up on these yo-yo cycles. Because I have people reach out to me every day that tell me, oh my gosh, I totally got sucked up in that trend. And then I followed up with that trend. And now I'm down this rabbit hole and I am a mess. And I'm just right. hoping that we can bring some context and discussion around it um, to help people get off of that hamster wheel.
0: I mean, the scary, just to add to your story, there was a person, I think you saw it too, but he was sharing on Twitter um, He looks very healthy, but I think he was doing carnivore, but with lots of carbs here and there. So he would just go off the diet and he yeah. had a heart attack and he shared, did carnivore give me a heart attack? And if you saw his old tweets, there were lots of images where he would have like a glass of wine or he would eat other things. And that is the big concern, the long-term concern of if you are having multiple energy sources, you are essentially eating a cleaner diet of the standard American diet. And we know that the standard American does not work and it progresses metabolic syndrome. And just because you're eating a squash instead of a donut. Or maybe we'll say a lollipop because squash doesn't have much fat, but um, a bunch of sugar versus just a squash. If you have too much of energy, energy substrates, you are risking excess fat to be stored, triglycerides to go up, blood sugar to go up, and eventually metabolic syndrome that can cause you to have heart failure.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, uh, what am I supposed to say (laughs) after that? Like, well, there we go. Three in a row. I, I all I'm saying is
0: find what you, what works and stick to it because you can't toggle between high fat and high carb and do that back and forth because eventually your body's going to keep the score. That's ultimately all I'm trying to say. If something cannot stick with you long term, then it's maybe a better idea not to do it.
1: Cool. Well, what can we talk about next week that's going to ruffle some feathers? <laughs> we and go, let's go. Every how many directions have we gone now? It's going to be fun. Well, next week we'll talk about your updates of Boca. Yeah, I learned, I've said so many good takeaways, so I can't wait to share that.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Okay,
1: we'll talk to you guys later. Bye.
0: (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.